There's this story about a disciple who had spent a long time alongside one Zen master. And um, he had been alongside the master for a long time, probably years. And in those years he learned a lot of things. He learned uh, many things about himself that he didn't know. And he was able to find something deeper to his life that he didn't know about before meeting the master. When he was in the presence of the master, he could feel this dimension being expressed in himself as a deep sensation of peace and aliveness and uh, gratitude. And his life was very beautiful alongside the master. Um, he lived in much greater connection with himself and with nature and everyone around him. But a part in himself knew that eventually he had to return to normal life. He couldn't live for the rest of his life in this monastery with this master alongside him. So after thinking about it for a long time and after several conversations with other disciples and with the master, eventually he decided that the best thing for him was to return home and return to his family and return to his children and try to take all of the lessons that he learned in his time with the master back to a more normal life. But he was concerned about this, especially about his own capacities to remain in this state of connection and peace, happiness that he had found in a different environment. He thought that the master was the main source of the joy that came into his life. So he was concerned how he could possibly retain this state of connectedness and wakefulness, we can say, after he is gone from the monastery. So he came to the master just before leaving and he paid the tribute and gave his gratefulness and he told the master how much he honors him, uh, thanked him for everything that he learned during his time with him, but also came to the master to ask him for something. Can you please write something for me that I can take home with me so that I can look at it whenever I feel I need to be reminded of what you taught me? So the master says, okay, fine, happy to do it. Takes a piece of paper and scribbles something very quickly and hands it back to the disciple. The disciple looks at it and reads it out loud. Awareness. The disciple is a bit confused. He was hoping to have something a little bit longer. Awareness. What does this mean? Can you please elaborate a little bit more? 
The master takes the paper back, scribbles a bit more and gives it back to the disciple. The disciple takes it and reads it out loud again. Awareness, awareness, awareness. The disciple is even more confused now and asks for more clarification. I don't understand what this means, he tells the master. Can you please explain to me what this means? The master takes the paper back and writes a bit more and hands it back to the disciple. Awareness, awareness, awareness means awareness. <laughs> Zen masters have a reputation for being direct and straight to the point. <laughs> Sometimes very strict. Awareness, awareness, awareness. What does this mean? Well, simply this means paying attention. Paying attention internally. We spoke of self-observation, right? Which we said is paying attention to anything that happens inside of us as if we had no connection to it whatsoever. Because the moment we personalize what's happening inside, we have an opinion. And when we have an opinion, we want something to be in a certain way. I want something inside to be nice and beautiful. I don't want it to be painful and sad. And the problem about this is that the more we grasp or pull things, the less grounded we are. The more we want things, or the more we want to avoid things, the more disconnected we are from the deeper place in our lives, out of which anything worth having can come. So basically, the more we want things, the less we are having that which we really want, which is something that's inside of us, to which we can only have access to when we stop judging things, when we stop pushing things away, when we stop running after things or away from things. The moment we are grounded, the moment we are in a state of acceptance and presence, which means I just observe whatever happens, I don't judge it as bad, I don't judge it as, oh yes, I like this, I want more of this, or oh, I don't like this, I hate this, I want this to go away. The moment we stand grounded in an attitude of acceptance, that's where we are closer to the deeper dimension of ourselves that we're talking about. So that's awareness. Looking inside. I told you that I am a psychotherapist and I work with people. And I think that if we can extract one of the main lessons of therapy, it is that of looking inside and having curiosity about what happens inside of us, as much as possible. Curiosity is a great trait to have, because curiosity means non-judgmental attention. The moment you're curious about something, you're not judging it as good or bad, as I want this, I don't want that. 
the moment you're curious about something, you're just observing. You're in a state of total observation, no judgment at all. And this means that when you're in a state of curiosity, your mind is blank. Your mind is quiet. And it is only when our mind is quiet that we can actually find that which we are trying to look for. It is only when our mind is quiet that you are closer to this deeper part of yourself. It is only when your mind is quiet that you are more truly yourself. Obviously, we need to be careful here because then we might misinterpret what I'm saying and say, okay, the goal is to quiet my mind. Well, that's probably not possible at all. Or maybe if it is, it takes a long time. So the goal is not to achieve a quiet mind. The goal is to learn to pay attention inside, to be curious about what's happening inside. And when we do that, our mind quiets itself naturally, without us having to do the hard work of quieting it. Because we cannot fight our mind. It's like darkness. You cannot fight darkness, can you? All you can do is bring in the light. And in the same way, internally, all we can do is bring in the light. What is the light? In this metaphor, the light is the light of your attention, the light of your consciousness. Let's say you have 100 units of attention at your disposal to be used throughout the day. So you wake up at 8 in the morning with 100 fresh units of attention to be used. When you go to sleep at 11, all of your units of attention have been used, so you're exhausted and you need to go to sleep to replenish them, right? How are you using those units of attention in a normal day? Are you using them for something that's actually going to bring you the happiness that you want? Because most people are not. Most people are using all of the 100 units of attention that they have on things that eventually are not going to bring them what they want. It's like Henry David Thoreau when he said, most men go fishing all of their lives without knowing that it isn't fish that they are after. Right? So this means this person, a fisherman, is using all of his energy, all of his time, just fishing. And then collecting fish and more fish and more fish and more fish throughout years and decades. Until only later he finds it wasn't fish that I wanted. I thought fish, more fish, was going to make me happy. But sadly, it's not. And what happened to all those years and years and years of fishing. Well, they are gone, right? It's the same with your attention. Your attention is there, you can use it, but then 
it's gone. If you misuse your units of attention, you're probably not going to get them back. It's important not to misuse the units of attention. Work is probably the area of our lives that consumes most of our attention. In a normal day, we are thinking about work probably 50 to 60% of the time, even 70 or 80 in many cases, even 90, I would say. Have you ever thought about this? All of a sudden you're given a salary and then a company owns you. And you just have to do as they say. Of course, there's a place with working, but be careful not to use all of your valuable units of attention for work. Make sure that you have some for your family. Make sure that you have some for yourself, even. That's the most crucial. And that's actually the one that people are less likely to spend their units of attention on themselves, looking inside. How much of the units of attention do you use looking inside, paying attention, not outside, not to the computer, not to anything that you need to do, not to the past or future, but inside. Being conscious of what kind of thoughts you're having, being conscious of this mental chatter in your mind, being conscious of any emotional activity in your body. This is the wise way of using your units of attention. How much of the 100 units of attention are you using to this end? Probably very few, if you're lucky. In most cases, none at all. We're always in our phones or reading something, watching something, scrolling, thinking about work, tomorrow, yesterday, running around. And none of our attention is reserved for us, for introspection, to look inside. And that's important. That's what we call look inside. That's what I think is one of the most important lessons that psychotherapy can give you. This reminder that if you want to be happy, you need to reach a balance between looking outside and looking inside. And you need to reach a balance between wanting something and being in this state of curiosity, of just complete receptivity to whatever's happening inside or outside. This is from a Tibetan uh, sage by the name of Milarepa. When you run after your thoughts, you are like a dog chasing a stick. Every time a stick is thrown, you run after it. Instead, be like a lion who, rather than chasing after the stick, turns to face the thrower. One only throws a stick at the lion once.
<laughs> be there internally. That's the message. Be there internally. Use some of your units of attention to be present internally. To be conscious of what's happening inside. To be conscious of any thoughts. To be conscious of any sensations. Without wanting to control them. That's an important part of the task. If you want to control them, if you want your thoughts to be only positive, you're not going to be there at all. You're always going to be separated from whatever's happening because you don't want things to be like they are. I don't want my mind to be anxious all the time. So whenever I pay attention inside and I find an anxious mind, I get more anxious. How can I change this? Start with curiosity. Start wherever you are. If your mind is anxious, start with an anxious mind. Pay attention to it. Self-observation is the practice that we are trying to develop, which we said is a practice that can help us enter a deeper dimension in ourselves. Self-observation, we said, means watching everything in us as if it were happening to someone else. Hindu spirituality talks about four states of consciousness in the human being. It says there are two states of consciousness in sleep and another two states of consciousness in waking consciousness. Altogether, four state of consciousness. The first one is the state of dreamless sleep, which is when you're sleeping and your mind is not active at all. That's what's called dreamless sleep. Now, obviously, science is catching up with this, which is incredible that Hindu philosophers knew about this centuries ago. But anyway, dreamless sleep. That's when scientists now tell us you get replenished, you get re-energized. Your psychic energies become replenished when you are in dreamless sleep. And from a Hindu spirituality perspective, that's when you connect to the divine, we can say, right? In the Upanishads, which is one of the oldest scriptures that we have record of, there's a beautiful line in there that talks about how in the same way as someone walks over a pasture without knowing that there are huge amounts of gold just underneath it, in the same way, the Upanishads say, when we go to dreamless sleep, we connect to the divine, even though we don't know it. That's dreamless sleep. Then we have dream sleep, typically referred to as non-rapid eye movement sleep. Basically, 
very complicated word. All this is, is there are signs of brain activity, which means you are dreaming. So we have dreamless sleep and dreaming sleep. Those are the two states of sleep consciousness. Now, you wake up when your alarm goes off at half past seven, and all of a sudden you are in a new state of consciousness, which is the third state of consciousness, which is waking consciousness. You're awake. You're there. You're no longer asleep. And the characteristic of the normal, ordinary waking consciousness is that there is a lot of brain activity. Your mind is constantly talking to you, constantly talking to itself, constantly commenting on things, constantly thinking about what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, what you have to do in your day, all of those things, right? We've talked about it plenty. That's the third state. And that's the state that we're going to call unconsciousness. Unconsciousness, from a spiritual perspective, does not mean being knocked out. You know, normally unconsciousness means you're not there, someone hits you hard in the head and you passed out, right? That's not the type of unconsciousness that we mean. The type of unconsciousness that we mean is being run by your mind. Unconsciousness is a state where mind activity is at its highest. It's a state of distraction, of complete distraction, where you are never fully where you are. You're always in the next moment in your mind. So your body's here, but your mind's not here. Your mind's in the future or your mind's already at work. Your mind's in the past. And this is what creates anxiety, actually. Anxiety means there is a tension a tension between one part which is here and another part which is somewhere else, which is your mind, right? Your mind is in the future and you're here. That's what anxiety is. That's what unconsciousness is. So the third state, we're going to say ordinary, wake, full consciousness is unconsciousness which means I'm completely disconnected from the present moment. Although I don't know it, of course, because I hardly have any time to consider this. I'm thinking constantly about things and my mind is constantly commenting on things. This is unconsciousness, where the mind is the master. So the third state of consciousness, which we are going to call the normal state of consciousness, is one that is characterized by being on autopilot, we can say. Something happens and there's a response. This button gets pushed and this response happens. Someone says something that hurts me and I defend myself. These are the egoic patterns that we're going to explore probably in the future. But for now, 
I want to state with the fourth state of consciousness. How can we describe it? First of all, we said it's a state of alertness. It's a state of internal alertness. It's when you know what's happening inside of you. If you can know that you're angry and you say, oh yes, there is anger inside of me. That's it. All of a sudden there's something more to your anger than just the anger. And that's the background in which it happens. So the fourth state of consciousness is one in which you are connected to the formless aspect of who you are. It's a state of being highly alert. The Tao Te Ching describes this state of alertness by comparing it to someone crossing an iced-over stream. Or as a warrior in enemy territory. Just use your imagination to picture what this would look like. Imagine you're crossing an iced-over stream and you know that you need to be super careful because any step taken in the incorrect place means your death. How careful would you be? Not a single thought would be crossing your mind. In this state of alertness, you're not thinking about what I'm going to do when I cross the river. You're just there, entirely there. Not a single thought crosses your mind. The same if you are a warrior who is in enemy territory. Not a single thought crosses your mind. You are hyper alert. Any sound around you, you know what it is. Another characteristic of the state of presence is that of not knowing. When we are in a state of presence, there's inner stillness, which means there's absence from thought. And when there's absence from thought, we don't know things in the usual way. Because in order to know what this is, or what that is, or what happened during the Second World War, or what your name is, for that matter, you need to think. So if you don't think, you don't know anything in the usual way that we know things. So in the state of alertness, you will realize, I don't know much. I don't know much cognitively, of course. Obviously, the knowledge that you have is going to return then, of course, you're not going to lose it. You're not going to lose anything worth having by being present, basically. So you don't have to be concerned about it. But try to be more willing to not know things. 
this is another way in which you can slowly find the state of presence for yourself. Especially in this era where we have access to the internet and everything is at the tip of our fingers. And there's this huge urge to know everything. And all of a sudden, if you don't remember what a group of fish is called, you need to look for it and you need to Google it. Or if you don't remember the name of an actress, you need to Google it. Because there's this discomfort if you don't know things. I need to know things. That's the mind being in charge. If you're able to let go of that and be comfortable with not knowing, eventually your mind gets still and you have access to a deeper place in yourself. Inner stillness. All of a sudden you realize, my body is alive. There's a huge sense of well-being that's innate in who you are. You don't have to look anywhere else for well-being and happiness. It's already there. It's just that your mind is clouding it. And the ways in which your mind clouds it are by thinking, by wanting to know everything. Socrates said, All I know is that I know nothing. Obviously, this is a very confusing statement, but I think what he's pointing to is this state of consciousness, of alertness. It's like Einstein saying, I want to know the mind of God. All the rest are details. All I know is that I know nothing. Can you dare to be in that state of not knowing nothing? If you try and if you get comfortable with this state where you don't know things, eventually you're gonna find a deeper capacity to understand things that is not verbal. And that's where anything worth knowing about you comes from, as we said. In the depth of winter, I finally learned that within me there lay an invincible summer. That's by Albert Camus. In the depth of winter, I finally learned that within me there lay an invincible summer. There's a sense of warmth, a sense of aliveness, a sense of well-being that has its source inside of you. And when you're still, slowly you start becoming conscious of it. Slowly you start realizing, I don't need much in order to be happy. It's just my mind that is convincing me that I need so many things. If I can quiet down, eventually I realize 
what the Tao Te Ching says, which is, all that you need, you already have. These are words from Jesus. The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, Lo, here it is, or over there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. What he's saying is, that, we, that which we are trying to find, which he calls the kingdom of God, we don't want to get mixed in interpretations of this, Is nowhere to be observed. It's not something external. It's not a place external. It's not a place that we're going to find in the dimension of space or time. That's why he's saying people cannot say there it is. Because it's not external. What he's saying is internal. It's a dimension of consciousness, we can say, that is accessible to you when you start looking inside. And when you are in this state of presence, sometimes your mind still plays its game. Sometimes your mind still comments and thinks. But you're grounded in a deeper place of yourself. You can listen to what your mind is saying without taking it so seriously. And that's a great liberation. When you can just realize that your mind is not so serious and that your mind is not absolute truth and that your mind doesn't have to be in charge of your life. That you can be grounded in this state of inner connectedness, in this state of inner stillness. How you can access this state we will discuss in future episodes. The so-called entry points to presence. That's all for now. Remember to be more alert more curious about anything happening inside of you. Try to stop judging it. Meditation is a great way in which you can practice this capacity of self-observation that we are trying to strengthen. So make sure to check out the meditation episodes the guided meditation episodes that I've also included in the podcast so that you can start making a habit of meditation. 10 minutes of meditation a day is not much. It's easy to create a habit out of it. And it's incredible how much your life can change just by doing 10 minutes of sitting and paying attention. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel and 
also uh, find us on social media under Truthfully Talking. I'll see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye.